afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Fuent Chat with Johnny Fuent. I'm your host, Johnny Fuent. Now, today's episode is a doozy. I don't know about you, but this week has been a lot with nerd news. I mean, seriously, from state of play through all the good episodes from series and even those that has yet to release. We got definitely a doozy coming for you guys. So let's go ahead and get started. First off, in our first subject, we're going to be talking about comics as always. We're going to be talking about the first issue in Shadow War Omega. Now... This basically leaves off on where Shadow War left off, with Geoforce being revealed as the fake Deathstroke. Yes, good old Geoforce. No one saw that one coming. Honestly, hell, I'd even see it coming. Anyway, it basically leaves off on where the other issue left off, where Slade had been killed, Batman and the others fought Geoforce, and of course they won. I mean, honestly, it was the beginning of a new issue, ending of another. Now, the third act, while the reveal of Geoforce was amazing, I mean, honestly, like I said, no one's really saw it coming, so it was fantastic. It was sort of let down by the fight, because the fight kind of really ended up being a fight between a kaiju rock. Batman, of course, defeated it, and then we were moving on. This was very underwhelming, especially for an ending that has a pretty good twist and turns, especially during the third act. And I understand it was trying to wrap everything in a nice little bow, but it couldn't leave us with something more, especially for Geoforce. I get their probably gonna build him up to something else and others now of course geoforce ended up being taken into prison and so did talia so both of them are now in jail and this could set up some pretty good storylines if they're smart enough and again that is if they're smart enough now this could potentially lead for geoforce joining task force x and its next iteration which would be kind of cool I don't think he's ever been a part of a team like Task Force X, and it'd be kind of cool to see that dynamic, and it would be interesting considering that Talia is also in prison to be forced into Task Force X as well, and how that dynamic would work, especially with her connections. Now, as a daughter of the demon head, she does have some pretty tight connections, so for her to automatically be put in Task Force X, I don't know. But then again, it could happen, and honestly, I could see Geoforce joining the Suicide Squad. Now, one thing also is that at the end of this comic, Batman and Damien finally reconciled after so long of them being at edge with each other, and it was nice closure, and honestly, I kind of saw it coming, especially since that Of course, as revealed before, the Justice League are dead, including Batman. So it was pretty much a story to kind of get them to feel better about each other and put some closure before Batman bit the dust. Now, as for Deathstroke, his story is not ending. He basically was picked up by other villains and dropped into the Lazarus Pit. Now, 
I don't know about many of you, but he has a healing factor. Yes, a healing factor. Something that other writers tend to forget. I'm serious. He has been shot in the head before and lived. Came back like six weeks later. It's not a fast healing factor, but it's there. But of course, writers tend to forget about this stuff. Because whenever it needs to show up, oh, he can heal. But not when it's against other characters. It's, oh, he's down for the count. There's no way he can come back up. Honestly, it's something that a lot of comic book readers have had frustration with. Because in one issue, he's showing all these awesome powers and skills. And the next, they're gone. Anyway... This could be the writer's power to kind of move up his healing process because, of course, they may need him for the upcoming issues. Now, one thing that's interesting about this is the fact that when they threw him in here, the Lazarus pit turned black. It went from green to black, which is something actually new. And Deathstroke came out saying that his next contract was about killing everybody and that the reason why the villains resurrected him was for this upcoming crisis which he said he didn't care about so it should be interesting and one thing about it is the fact that batman and the rest of the bat family may not be safe heck this could take place after the bat family loses batman so the bat family itself may not be safe and it's funny because this has been brought up before. He healed all his wounds, everything. That's what the Lazarus Pit does. But one of the villains asked, hey, why didn't his eye heal? And it's a th common joke, inside joke, really, with Deathstroke fans. Because he may have a healing factor, but nobody can say why his eye can't heal. Again, my opinion on it is just a joke. It's just, okay, he can heal everything but his eye. But others have other types of theories, some of them a little more psychological in nature. Heck, one thing that's pretty funny about it is that no matter how he loses the eye, it stays gone. There was one time he actually got it back for a while. It messed with his fighting because he was so used to fighting with one eye. And to basically make amends with a weapon he used, he basically tore it out and offered it to the gods. The Greek pantheon gods, to be specific. Anyway, moving on from DC, we're going to be talking about Marvel. Specifically, the newest Moon Knight Black, White, and Blood issue. And this is specifically issue number one. Now, this is a team-up issue between Moon Knight and Spider-Man. And a cameo from the all-time favorite, Deadpool. Now, basically, this comic has Spider-Man trying to convince Moon Knight to borrow his suit. Specifically, his Mr. Nice suit. Where, if you watch the show, the one that Steven has. Not the one Mark has. Because, honestly, it's a well-dressed suit. And Spider-Man wants it because, for some reason... Nobody wants to help him get a suit. So Spider-Man helps him get a scarab back. And at the end of the issue, Spider-Man and Conchu come to an agreement where Conchu agrees to have Spider-Man borrow the suit. And of course, for some reason, Peter Parker can't find a suit and specifically wants Moon Knight. And 
one thing that's kind of funny is Kanchu says that if he's planning to do something freaky with the suit, not to return it, to bury it and burn it, which is kind of funny. But at the end of the comic, after everything's said and done, Deadpool is now pestering Moon Knight to borrow his suit and complaining that Spider-Man got to borrow it. Honestly, it's been a while since I've seen Deadpool with Moon Knight, so having that slight cameo at the end was satisfying. And it was funny. You can never go wrong with Deadpool. One thing that was amazing was the fact that it brought some humor to the comic. And it was a team up where nothing was going to happen where it was world ending. It was a scarab that needed to be captured back. And that's what they did. And I'm looking forward to more team ups with Moon Knight. He is a very interesting character. And depending who's on control who's in control of his personalities it could definitely lead to some funny situations now we're gonna slightly go back to dc and talk about the ongoing superman comic specifically with john kent the son of superman now i'm not really a fan of this ongoing issue or series to be specific it seems like they're patting themselves on the back without really bringing anything to the table or anything significant. The writing is okay, and he is basically praised, John Kent Superman, with doing the bare minimum. And it seems that, I know a lot of people always complain, or have been complaining ever since it was announced that he was bisexual, about his boyfriend. And honestly, John Kent's boyfriend doesn't seem to have much of a personality. And the one thing that sucks is that these constructive criticisms that actually have some weight are drowned out by those fans who are mad that they made John Kent buy. And whenever someone brings up some constructive criticisms, the writers instantly blame fans for being hateful for no reason when some of these criticisms actually hold some weight. So not for nothing, I really hope the writing gets better because this version of Superman definitely deserves some better writing, some better material, and maybe a better arc. Who knows where it will go? I'm just saying what I think is right, and I really think the writing for this could be better. Anyway, moving on from comics, we're going to head straight to TV shows. And this is going to be delving into some spoilers on the newest Obi-Wan episode. Well, not the newest one, specifically episode one and two. And this is going to be talking about spoilers. So if you haven't seen the show yet, please skip ahead. I'm probably going to be talking about this for the next 10 minutes. If not, maybe less, but please skip ahead. And if you haven't watched the show yet, please watch the show. But if you're going to continue to listen, listen at your own discretion. Anyway, now when we start off seeing Obi-Wan Kenobi, he is basically a meat cutter, which is actually kind of interesting because it would make sense because that's one of the few jobs in Tatooine where, let's be honest, it will not draw attention to him and he'd just be another fly in the wall, which what he wants. He's basically broken about how things fell off with Anakin. Him not knowing at first that Anakin turned into Darth Vader and is still alive. And it's heartbreaking to see such a character, such a powerful character at that, be broken and doubt every decision because of what has led up to the fall of the Jedi. 
And one thing I will say about this is the fact that he has actually made a quiet life for himself, something you'd figure that Ben Kenobi at this point would do. And he spent his days, of course, working at the meat cutting, I don't want to say plant company or I, okay, uh, squad, company, whatever. And when he's not doing that, he's watching young Luke and basically watching over him and gives him toys whenever he can, but at the behest of Owen, his uncle. Now, one thing that's really great is the fact that we're seeing a live action Inquisitor, actually multiple Inquisitors. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't know who these guys are. And I had to explain myself to my dad and say, hey, these characters are this way because, because he's always thought there was only Darth Sidious and Darth Vader, which is true to a certain point. Now, I'm going to go ahead and go into detail on who these Inquisitors are and how some of them came to be Inquisitors. Now, Inquisitors are basically hand-picked Jedi who Darth Sidious picked because they had inklings of the dark side in them. And while they had the force, he made sure to pick ones that would never be strong enough to oppose him or Darth Vader. He made sure that whoever he, they picked or he picked specifically were much weaker than him. Because when it comes to the Sith, you always try to kill your master and overpower him, become more powerful. And that's the thing that they tried to prevent with the Inquisitor program. Now, you may be asking yourselves, why did Dark Sidious start the program? And he started it to help hunt former Jedi and do any assassinations for him when needed. Now, most joined the Inquisitor program because of being tortured or being corrupted. Whenever anybody who was Force-sensitive joined the Inquisitor program, they were basically stripped of their identity and given numbers, which they did to pervert the ways of the Jedi further. And the person who would be in charge would be the Grand Inquisitor, and he specifically was a former Jedi Temple guard. Sidious promised him access to the Jedi archives if he joined. The ninth sister was a former Jedi named Masana Tide, who was tortured until she cracked and joined the program. She was also tragically, well not really tragically, but she was killed five years prior at the hands of Cal Kestis. Now, one thing that's also important is that some of the Inquisitors were former Jedi Masters. One of them, the Tenth Brother, Prosette Dibs, basically joined Sidious at the end of the Clone Wars. The second sister was a Jedi Padawan named Trilla Sinduri, who was a Jedi Padawan who ended up being captured, tortured, and forced into joining the Dark Side. And she basically died at the hands of Darth Vader for failing to kill a Jedi named Cal Kestis, the same one who killed the previous sister. Now, one thing about the Inquisitors is that their stories are mostly the same. They were either captured or they were basically tortured or corrupted. It's basically all the same. And when it came to Darth Vader finding out about the program, he basically was put in charge and trained Inquisitors in the art of combat. And their training wouldn't be a piece of cake either. 
Darth Vader was very harsh in his training and basically cut off limbs so they would not forget their lesson. Can you imagine that? Forgetting something and getting your limbs cut off and replaced? And it wasn't left unnoticed, especially by the Grand Inquisitor who questioned the harshness of the training. And when he questioned it, Vader stated that he wanted them to adapt from fighting defensively and adopt more offensive movements, which is something that would take away from their Jedi training, or at least to those who had some. Now, one of my favorite characters in the show is basically young Leia. She is amazing, and I love the fact that she can read people using the Force without even realizing it. One of the favorite, or one of my favorite encounters, was basically her against her cousin, and she basically tore him a new one after he called her a fake Organa. And by God, was that interaction beautiful. Speaking of Organas, one of my favorite characters actually showed up, which was Senator Organa. And he is basically given the same personality as he did in the Clone Wars show. And one thing I loved was the dynamic between him and Leia was super nice. And it kind of reminded you of the fact that he is technically her father and... It was nice, honestly, seeing them interact because after episode three, we rarely see the actor or the character in anything else because, of course, when A New Hope comes around, Alderaan is destroyed. And it was actually nice to see what Alderaan looked like in live action as well. One thing I loved is basically the dynamic between Obi-Wan and Leia. And it's nice to see that she actually knew him And it wasn't just from stories when A New Hope happened. They actually had an adventure together. And the fact that she now knows that he's a Jedi. And when she was asking for his help, she was asking from a friend standpoint. Someone that she trusted and worked with before. So it definitely gives more meaning towards her message to Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I got to say that their dynamic is still kind of funny because it kind of reminds me of her or or not her, but Anakin's dynamic with Obi-Wan. It just brings back so many memories and it's so much fun to see them interact, especially when it comes to episode three. Now, one thing I find interesting is one of the Inquisitors is a new character and I'm not liking her. I'm not saying that I don't like the actress. She's doing a fantastic job of making this character unlikable. But I want to talk a little more about the third sister. And I want to know why she's so obsessed with Obi-Wan. And I want to say that she is a former Padawan from the flashback we get with Order 66. Or could she be something more? She's obsessed with Obi-Wan. And I want to know why. I don't know if there's some deep connection between them that hasn't been revealed yet. Some current lore that's going to come to the light. Because honestly, I was really surprised on how many defiant actions that was made by the third sister. Especially like kidnapping Leia, who's considered a daughter of an imperial senator. And who can cause trouble for Palpatine. Especially if it's shown that an Inquisitor, someone under Sidious's reign, kidnapped a senator. Or kidnapped a senator's child. Which would not look good to the Empire. 
and would basically cause some problems with some planets, especially those in the outer rim. One thing is that actually caught me off guard was that she stabbed the Grand Inquisitor. Now, this is surprising because I'm saying this as a non-spoiler because if you haven't seen Rebels yet, it's been around for basically five, six years now. So it's not really a spoiler at this point, but the Grand Inquisitor isn't supposed to die until five years later at the hand of a Padawan and his master in Rebels Season 1. And I wonder if he's somehow alive because he's using the Force to be kept alive. Or the fact that we somehow are left with a new Grand Inquisitor of the same race. Who knows? And honestly, it was strange that they would kill him or supposedly kill him off. But who knows? Again, he could be using the Force to keep himself alive. They really didn't state that he was dead in the third episode. Maybe hinted. But we'll see. One thing I can't wait for is the final fight between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader because we know they're building that up. And the way the show's going, especially with episode 3, I cannot wait for episode 4. And that's all I will say about it because it is amazing how episode 3 continues to be gritty and set the tone of how dark this series will actually get. Speaking of Star Wars, another show that has basically come to light, especially with the trailer, is the Bad Batch trailer. Now, I am super excited to see all these characters back. Oh my god, season one was amazing, and I can't wait to see how everything is going to play out. Because, as far as we know, and especially in canon, as sad as it's to say... The Bad Batch doesn't see past the 15-year mark, especially with Rebel Season 2, with the introduction of Rex still being alive. He states that they're the last clones alive, and the Bad Batch is never mentioned. Now, of course, there could be something along the lines of they weren't invented yet, which is understandable, but it could also mean that they're dead. And one of the newest characters... Well, not really new to this show, or actually new to the Star Wars lore, but new to the show is Grungi, who is a Wookiee Jedi introduced back in the Clone Wars TV show, and my personal favorite, Commander Cody. Now, Grungi was basically a fantastic person or fantastic Wookiee to see when the trailer hit, and I'm kind of sad about it, because yet... While he was one of the more popular younglings introduced in the Clone Wars, the other thing is that we don't know if he's going to live past to a new hope. And he could be dead by the time Rebels happen. And the one thing that kind of sucks is when he was introduced, there was also a bunch of other younglings introduced as well. And they could mostly be dead because of Order 66. So they can really go a dark, gritty route when introducing Grungi again. Or we could see a more positive episode. Honestly, it will be interesting. And I also wonder if when Luke shows up more in canon, especially whether it be comics or TV show... If we're going to be seeing that 
Grungi survived and is living out in hiding in Kashyyyk. Who knows? There is definitely a big possibility and maybe other possibilities as well. And I'm here to see it because honestly, I love the Bad Batch and will love to see where everything goes. Now, another character that was shown in the trailer, one of the best clones ever produced from the clone world of Kamino. Now, I get that a lot of you may ask, especially those who aren't familiar with a lot of the clone names or the Clone War show, hey, why is Commander Cody such a big character? And this because he was the right-hand man to Obi-Wan Kenobi when it came to his squadron. And the last time we saw this character was the Battle of Yuptapu. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yuptapa? Yuptapu. Anyway, it was basically the battle where General Grievous was killed. And the last time we saw him was after he ordered a clone trooper to fire at Obi-Wan Kenobi when the start of Order 66 happened. After that, there is nothing in canon talking about what happens to Cody. Sure, there's little maybe tidbits of where he might have gone, what he might have done, but it's basically a blank slate. There's so many people who speculated that maybe he got his chip out of his head or to the point where he's still with the Empire and is basically one of their officers. Who knows? There is a lot of speculation on what happened to Commander Cody and I am finally happy we get to see the answer on that and it's going to be interesting to see what part he plays in the Bad Batch. He may end up dying within the time frame of the Bad Batch or he might be influenced by the chip and become one of the main villains. Now, if that's the case, that's going to be bad news for the Bad Batch, because when it comes to Commander Cody, he is not only a very skilled clone, but he is a master tactician. And with the right tools, it would be interesting to see him going up against the Bad Batch and his old friend Rex. And one thing I'm going to be interested to see is exactly how the empire plays a part in this as a whole will it be showing the start of the rebellion seeing more jedi get killed all in the name of emperor palpatine we don't know one thing i'll add especially when it comes to cody is the fact that he's not really mentioned in rebels at all and it could mean that his character doesn't survive to the 15 year mark or is lost and assumed dead. And when it comes to Cody, we might not know. He may show up in the Kenobi series that's ongoing and we're like, oh, so he did make it past the 10 year mark. Who knows? And I'm all for that mystery. As long as Dave Filoni and John Ferraru can keep up the magic that is Star Wars. Anyway, Moving on from Star Wars, yes, I know, I'm sad too, we're going to be talking about another great show that has premiered, which is Stranger Things Season 4. Now, as much as I really want to talk about Stranger Things episodes, the show hasn't been out for more than a week, heck it. It's going to be the week mark probably tomorrow, so I'm not going to be able to do a review of Volume 1 yet. So I'm going to probably give it another 2-3 weeks before I even go into spoilers. Now, 
while I'm not going to do a spoiler review, I am going to be talking about how fantastic this season is and how much the three-year wait was torture but worth it. Although one thing I'll say is I'm not a fan of Freaking Volume 2 having to be waited for two months, but then again, I guess this is how Netflix is trying to keep their subscribers. But honestly, the villain of this season, Vecna, is truly terrifying, and each episode definitely gets darker and darker. Especially with the mid-break finale, it leaves so much open, and I'm curious to see how they're able to do it or wrap everything up in the next two episodes, even with them being over an hour and a half long and the last one being almost two and a half hours. Hey, I'm listen, I'm all for it. So I can't wait to see how everything leaves off because with season five being the last season, you know, season four is going to leave you off with a cliffhanger that's going to make you all angry until the next season happens and so on and so forth. Now, one thing I want to mention is that each season has a villain and their theme based on a horror movie character or a movie. Like in the first season of Stranger Things, which was a bit of a combination between Alien and the Predator movies. The first ones, to be specific. And when it came to season two villains, they were obviously based on Aliens with the Demo Dogs. If you didn't see it then, I hope you see it now. Because as soon as I saw them, I'm like, oh my god, this is like Aliens when there's now multiple of them. And season three was basically John Carpenter's The Thing. And when it comes to season four, the biggest influences that you can see that this season has taken is from, of course, Nightmare on Elm Street, but also Hellraiser, basically Pinhead. And Vecna, from his appearance, basically screamed Freddy Krueger and a little bit of Hellraiser when I first saw him. I personally saw Freddy Krueger instantly, especially with the ways his powers manifest. I was like, oh, this is basically Freddy Krueger. And one thing that was brought up to me, and I do have to agree, is that Vecna looks almost similarly to Swamp Thing from the awesome, fantastic DC DC show that was sadly canceled because of course it was. I mean, Warner Brothers can't have a fantastic show going around. It may actually make people think that they're good. God, DC wouldn't definitely don't want to do that. Anyway, I can see why people say he looks like Swamp Thing. And while I won't go much into the new season, I will say that the first couple episodes is amazing and I can't wait to see how everything will go forward. Now, I will say that I have speculation about what movie or characters may be inspired for the new villain of season five. And I told people this and they think I'm right. So it'll be up to you whether or not my theories are correct. But I think the next season is going to take inspiration from one of my all time favorite 80s movies. The Evil Dead series. And it could happen. Unless, of course, they may go child's play. Who knows? Honestly, I can't wait to see what the next inspiration for the villain will be. Because I'm going to love it either way. Now, I mentioned Warner Brothers. And we're going to be talking about them. Because, honestly, I don't know what they're drinking. I don't know what the Kool-Aid flavor is. I have no idea. But they let good shows die. Like Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing had so much potential. It was amazing. And it got canned. But they're allowing terrible shows like Batwoman 
for a time before it got canceled air and it was three seasons but three seasons too long and it was one of the most disliked trailers ever when it first premiered and people say oh it got better i'm like it still wouldn't have attracted people and it obviously didn't it obviously didn't or it would not have been canceled now there is a new contender to the throne of the most disliked the most asinine show ever and it looks absolutely horrible and that new contender is gotham knights not the video game mind you a tv show called gotham knights and the trailer looked absolutely horrible i wanted to strangle the trailer that's how bad it looked and of course we're gonna go ahead and talk a little bit about what this show is about batman is dead wow Big shocker there. CW apparently can't even have their hands on the Dark Knight, but they can have their hands on Superman. It's weird, honestly. Sure, we can get a show about Superman, but Batman? Forget it. It. I don't even know where to go from that. Anyway, Batman is dead, and apparently he has a son named Turner Hayes, an adopted son, a new character made for the show who has no alliance to any comic book ever. And he is made aware that Batman is dead. And he says he didn't even know his dad was Batman. And the suspects for killing Batman is the children of Batman's enemies. Yep, it's already looking so much fun. And guess what? The children are of teenage age. The teenage romance age. Because you already know this is going to be a CW show. And it's really dumb that they had to make a new character for this show. One that's not even a Robin, mind you. One that didn't even know that Batman was Bruce Wayne. And that's the one thing I have trouble believing is that Bruce Wayne had an orphan and he didn't instantly try to turn him into a superhero or a sidekick. That really seems far-fetched. And you think I'm joking, but if you look at every orphan he has adopted, they have basically turned into superheroes. I don't really think one of them has turned into... Well, one of them turned into a villain, then a anti-hero, but still, nonetheless, a hero. Anyway, one thing that also sucks is that they're bringing Stephanie Brown into her first live action appearance and Carrie Kelly. Now, Carrie Kelly is Robin, but from an alternate universe in, I want to say, The Dark Knight Returns. It's a fantastic animated movie. Would definitely recommend part one and part two. Anyway, Stephanie Brown is basically spoiler. No, that's that's her name. Spoiler. She took the mantle after her dad to basically make the name in the name of justice. Make it right because her father was a villain. Anyway, it's so frustrating and disappointing that these two characters from Batman's lore is going to have their first live action in a CW TV series that doesn't know what they're doing. This honestly looks like it's going to be canceled in the first season. And one thing that kind of sucks... And it really sucks is that Misha Collins, some of you may know that name from his supernatural role of Cassiel, he's playing Harvey Dent. And while I believe he can easily pull off that character, it's for a CW show that looks like crap. 
I really hope this doesn't last a season, and if it does, God help us all. Please, if you're able to, go to YouTube, look up this trailer, and hit the dislike button. Please, you'll be doing humanity a favor. Moving on from terrible, terrible TV shows. Oh God, I'm not looking forward to Gotham Knights TV show. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be moving on to movies. Now, the Pinocchio movie trailer has dropped, and it looks like it's going to be faithful to the original animated film. It's actually jarring. No, wait, jarring's bad. Is jarring bad? I'll have to Google that later. Anyway, it's amazing. Yes, we're going with amazing. It's amazing how awesome it looks. My God, I need more verbs. Anyway... The trailer itself definitely shows how they're taking inspiration from the animated film and it's not going to be another copy and paste, which a lot of other live actions have done. It seems to be taking its own interpretation in the right direction, mind you. It doesn't look like it's going to turn into another Mulan because let's be honest, we definitely do not need another Mulan. Anyway, it kind of looks fun and that's a good thing. It looks like something you definitely want to see whether or not you're a fan of the original or a fan of live actions to begin with. And one thing that's going to be kind of scary is seeing if they're going to be faithful to the point where they're going to show the island scene where they're kind of cursing at each other and then turning into donkeys. More frightening as if they're actually going to do the whole whale eating scene. Honestly, I'm excited for it, and I'm wondering to see how Pinocchio sounds, because that's the one thing we didn't get to hear in the trailer, the voice of Pinocchio. Maybe they'll release it with the full trailer, maybe they're going to keep it a mystery or reuse lines or a video archive of what they haven't used before for the voice. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I'm probably going to be wrong about that. But anyway, I'm excited to see this movie when it releases. Anyway, speaking of trailer drops, we finally got to the trailer for a movie I've been hearing about, and it looks pretty good, and I'm excited to see it, is The Man from Toronto. Basically, Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson both star in it, and it looks like a fun joyride. Now, the movie seems to be starting off from what the trailer shows is that Kevin Hart's character is mistaken for the man from Toronto, an assassin and killer, and he's basically recruited by the government to keep on impersonating him to catch the actual man from Toronto, which is Woody Harrelson. Now, Woody Harrelson's character gets mad, tracks down Kevin Hart's character so he can kill him, but something goes wrong and now they have to work together. And it seems like it's going to be a fine dynamic. And it's going to be very different from his usual dynamic with, of course, The Rock. And it seems like both of them have good chemistry. And I can't wait to see how this movie drops and how this movie surprises us because it kind of looks like Woody Harrelson and Kevin Hart have something great that hasn't been explored before. Now, out of all the trailers I was expecting to see this week, the one I did not expect was the Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Now, when it comes to Beavis and Butthead, this show was definitely way before my time. I really never saw the appeal of the show. I honestly felt like I was losing brain cells, which apparently was the point of Beavis and Butthead. So while I'm not super excited for this movie, I will give it a chance. 
because this is apparently is a generational thing and I will probably watch it with my sister who also hated Beavis and Butthead just for the laughs. Oh god, this trailer looks interesting in itself. So hopefully the movie's good because if it's not, well, I honestly lose two hours. God, I really hope it's not two hours. Anyway, we're going to move on to video games. And first, we're going to be talking about Sony's free games of the month, which were announced. Now, one of them is a Naruto or Boruto game, and it looks really bad. Honestly, I'm not a fan of Naruto games. They look cheesy, they look bad, and they look like a money grab, and this one does not look any different. Another game which looks really great and could hint that we'll be seeing the sequel of this game pretty soon is God of War, the 2018 game. And another game which is free, which I'm actually excited about, is Nicktoons Brawl. Now, I'm excited for Brawl because it's the only game I haven't played yet that is on the list. Of course, besides Naruto, because I'm not going to attempt to play that one. But I'm excited to see how this game does, especially since it's free. Heck, I'll play it for free. See how well the controls work, who's my main character. And again, the one thing that sucks is that they don't have the original voice actors voicing them like the uh, Super Smash Brothers does, or from the looks of it, the multiverse game from Warner Brothers. And I'm excited because I get to play some of my favorite characters. Danny Phantom, XJ9, Hugh Neutron. Why not? That sounds like fun. And other characters as well. And the one thing I'm interested is the fact that we had the state of play today on this date of 6-2-22. And there was no trailer for God of War Ragnarok or not a trailer per se but even a release date so we'll see if the game still releases this year I'm hoping for it and if it does hallelujah I'll be jumping for joy and that's gonna be a day one pre-order I'm not even gonna wait to pre-order I'm just gonna jump on that horse whenever it releases because the first God of War game was fun and I can't wait to see what the second holds for us Anyway, moving on from Sony's free games, we're going to be talking about the new Pokemon game that was announced, and it seems to be kicking off to an interesting start. Now, the game will be truly open world, and nothing is blocked off to the player from getting to certain areas, because before, you weren't able to get to the high-end areas because something would be blocking them and that doesn't seem to be the case here well whether or not you're dumb enough to actually travel to these areas with a level five or six pokemon and their levels are basically in the 40s who knows maybe someone will try to catch a powerful pokemon beforehand or whichever which i really don't recommend because of course if you don't have the right badge the pokemon is not going to respect you and do its own thing Anyway, one of the other stuff that's interesting about it is the fact that it will support four-player co-op. Now, this is going to be the first Pokemon game that supports this, and it hasn't been revealed if it's for the entire campaign or certain areas. I might actually buy this upcoming Pokemon game, but maybe not, because it seems like they're releasing Pokemon games at least twice a year, and as much as I do love Pokemon games... It seems like a lot, especially asking me to buy two different Pokemon games within the same year. And kudos to those who buy both versions. I could definitely not do that. I have 
too much stuff to do. But anyway, it will be interesting to see how this Pokemon game stacks up to the others that has released in the past five, six years. Moving on, we're going to be talking about Sony State of Play games that were announced. Now, I'm only going to be talking about the best looking ones, in my opinion. If there is a game I have not mentioned, I apologize. It just didn't pique my interest. Anyway, the games that were announced, or some of the games, was Horizon Zero Dawn, the VR game. And, of course, it looked stunning. I'm a big fan of of Horizon Zero Dawn as stated in previous episodes and for this to be a VR game set in the same universe I can't wait to experience it well maybe experience it because it's going to be a virtual reality 2 exclusive so I only have the one and I don't really play it then or now so it's going to be interesting to see the price tag on the two and hopefully it's not too expensive because if it is I'm not going to bother buying it but anyway the game looks amazing now another game that looks fantastic is the remake of Resident Evil 4 and they seem to have tweaked the game a bit and made some changes because of course from what I've heard because I've actually never played uh, Resident Evil 4 it was a little more lighthearted with some of the jokes and it wasn't really all that well it was serious but not as much as they could have and it seems like they tweaked it to follow the steps of the second and third remake game and make them dark and gritty now again I've never played Resident Evil 4 I actually played number five at a friend's house and the first Resident Evil game I actually owned was Resident Evil 6 which of course with if all of you guys know it wasn't really a good game but I liked it honestly the next game would be Resident Evil 2, 7, 3 and the newest one that has released which is 8 Village and it is amazing. Anyway, I can't wait to see what Resident Evil 4 has in store for newcomers like me or veterans who can't wait to play as Leon Kennedy again. Anyway, another game that was announced was Street Fighter 6 and I am a big fan of Street Fighter series so seeing Ryu, Akuma, M. Bison and others back will be such a fun experience and I'm actually curious to see what the DLC characters for this round will be. Who knows? I mean, I wasn't expecting Negan, but maybe we'll get him again or Akuma. Although, God, they definitely need to not make Akuma broken because if you tried to use him in a Street Fighter tournament, good luck. Most likely banned instantly. Anyway, one of the other games that has been announced is a game called Stray Cat where it takes place in a cyberpunk-like era and city and you basically play a cat trying to escape the city back to your family and it looks like a lot of fun and you're just basically playing a cat. What else do you need? It looks fun and I'm definitely going to try to get the game. Anyway, another trailer that dropped was Final Fantasy 16. It looks interesting enough, especially with how the gameplay is. I have never really been a Final Fantasy fan, but I definitely have friends who are. So it will be amazing to get their take on the game, especially since this man has finished 15 in hours. Well, took him days, but honestly, if you stack them up, it was only hours. Anyway, another game that was announced is basically 
Project Calypso, which seems to be a spiritual successor to Dead Space. And it looks amazing. It looks super horror-based, thriller with jump scares, and it does look like it could have been a Dead Space blah, a Dead Space game. Just under, of course, Calypso. And I'm excited because the atmosphere seems deadly. And that you're going to be on the edge of your seat and I cannot wait to play it. It's going to be coming out at the end of this year and it's going to definitely be on my day one purchase. Now another uh, game they mentioned was Spider-Man. Specifically the 2018 or was it 17? Well the recently the recent Spider-Man game that didn't have Miles Morales and this Spider-Man is going to be coming to PC so anyone who hasn't experienced the awesomeness that is Spider-Man get ready to be able to play on your PC now one thing that's going to be happening in the next six days or how many other days that's whenever you're listening to this is on June 8th They'll be releasing the live action trailer for Modern Warfare 2 and this teaser has me hyped. I haven't been this hyped for a COD game since the first remake of MW which is going to be going on 3 years from this date. It's going to be nice to start getting excited for COD games especially since they're not going to release every year which is something they needed to stop doing for ages and I'm glad they finally caught up to what people want. Anyway, moving on for that, I want to go ahead and take this time to give a shout out to a friend. His name is Justice and he is a Twitch streamer. He has a hilarious personality. He's a great guy, especially if you want to have a good laugh and if you want to see some quality gaming skills. Definitely check him out. And for those of you who haven't downloaded Twitch and want to get into it, definitely check him out as well. His Twitch name is TTKJustice1. Again, that is two T's, a K, Justice1, and that is his Twitch name. Do not forget it. If you forget it, just go ahead and do a rewind and you'll be able to experience the awesomeness that is Justice, especially on the mic and seeing his skills in action anyway that's it for the video game section and we're going to be going ahead and talking about current events now unless any of you have been living under a rock you know that johnny depp won his defamation suit against amber heard and it's definitely great news for uh, victims of abuse who have been scared to basically speak out because a lot of people doubted Johnny Depp uh, and many of them basically believe Amber Heard because she was female and that Johnny Depp was lying when he said he never abused Amber Heard. Seeing that someone of the male persuasion can win a defamation lawsuit against Amber Heard who was basically caught lying at times is amazing and I really hope that Johnny's able to get roles again and Amber Heard will suffer in the same way or suffer in her career as Johnny did because he did lose a lot of roles and a lot of high paying job opportunities at that. Now going off on that a little bit the ACLU organization seems to be in a lot of hot water because they're suing Johnny Depp because they got subpoenaed to provide documents for his trial 
when they did not want to. And now they're saying that they want to be paid for the work on the amount of $86,000. I don't know about you, but putting together paperwork is not worth $86,000. I don't know who was drunk and decided to come up with that number or who decided, you know what, we're going to just throw a crazy number out there and hopefully win. And it kind of sucks because apparently they helped defame Johnny Depp by writing the op-ed. And that's just sad. And I hope that they realize or admit at the very least that they backed the wrong horse when they sided with Amber Heard. Honestly, it's too early to say. I'm very disappointed on the ACLU. actually didn't know who they were until maybe about... Uh, few days ago but still very disappointed bad aclu very bad anyway uh one thing i also want to mention that it is pride month and that i hope everyone is going to be enjoying and having a happy pride but anyway that is it for this episode of went chat with johnny fuent i cannot wait to see what other gaming comic book tv show or nerd news in general happens and you will probably not hear it here first but you will definitely hear my opinion on it well thank you guys for listening goodbye have a good evening good morning or good afternoon this has been fuent chat with johnny fuent signing off